Um, We are in Philippians chapter 3 today, if you would turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Okay, does um, does everyone know what this is? Rubik's Cube. Uh, So our our friends who are here this past week, their oldest son, uh, Charles, is a very good... Rubik's Cuber, is that what you call it? A Rubik's Cuber? Um, and so he was, we were sitting on the couch one day and he was trying to teach me how to do it and he kept just saying, you know, just like get a white cross. And I was like, just get a white cross. What do you mean? I don't know what you mean. So we sat there for four or five minutes trying to figure it out. I've never been able to do one, um, but I've been interested this past week and so I did a little bit of research and I found out that the world record for the fastest solve of a Rubik's Cube. 4.2 seconds. <laughs> it take me four years and 22 months to. <laughs> it's there on YouTube. You can see it. 4.2 seconds. Kid gets a random YouTube. He looks at it for about, I don't know, maybe 10 seconds, and then he solves it in 4.22 seconds. Pretty amazing. Now, there are, there are a couple different ways to get all six of sides of. Is there six sides? Yes. No. One. Six sides. Uh, I can't can't even count the sides. Um, There's a couple different ways. Now, the one that I had growing up, it was really easy. I was just able to peel off the stickers and then put them on all the different sides. Um, That's the really easy way. Um, The other way is to spend a lot of time getting to know the cube and memorizing the different ways that the different algorithms work in order to do it. And this one young man, he looked like he was probably 13, 14 years old, um, just broke his own record from 4.6 seconds to 4.2 seconds a couple years ago. For a lot of people, maturity in Christ, growing up in Christ, feels like a puzzle. In my life in ministry as a pastor, I've had dozens, if not hundreds of people who have come to me at one time or another, frustrated disappointed that they they can't maintain the the regular disciplines of the spiritual life frustrated that they can't maintain daily bible reading or prayer time or when they pray they get very distracted or others who who feel there are so many areas of maturity in their life where they seem like they're they're growing but there's just this one thing that they can't get over one one sin that just continues to come back over and over again and for some of you today, I, I suggest that there, I, I imagine that there may be some of you who feel just pretty tired of trying to figure it all out. You've been sitting staring at this puzzle called Christianity, called discipleship for a really long time. You love Jesus. You know that he died for you. You believe. But all about this talk of maturity or growth in Christ Maybe you just feel like you've tried it and you just can't figure it out. Or you just feel stuck and you're not really sure what the next place of growth is for you. Well, I want to say to you that if you're here today, that this sermon is very much for you. But I also want to warn you that I'm not going to give you the solution to the problem. I don't believe that our growth in our walk with Jesus can be solved in three easy steps. Or telling you that if you will do A, B, and C today and tomorrow, that somewhere you're going to arrive and all of a sudden have this consistent and mature faith. And the reason for that 
is that maturity in Christ, growing up in Christ, is not a puzzle to be solved. It's a relationship with a person. And relationships with people do not grow and thrive by fulfilling requirements or taking three easy steps or checking off boxes on a to-do list. Maturity in Christ comes through a relationship with a person. And relationships with people take time, and they take energy, and they take commitment, and they take listening and speaking, and it takes a long time. Over the course of our our time in the book of Philippians, we have, have defined maturity as knowing Christ and becoming like Christ. Knowing Christ and becoming like Christ. I want to think a little bit about the the image or the illustration of of a marriage, to think a little bit about the importance of relationship and how relationships work. My relationship with Katie would not thrive if every day I woke up and I said to her, here's a piece of paper and a pen. Can you please tell me the five things that I need to do today in order to show you that I love you? That's not how relationships work, right? And if you do these five things, then I'll know that that you love me. That's not the way that relationships work. My relationship with Katie is about being together. It's It's about learning to be attached to one another. It's about getting to know her and spending time with her and learning to consider her needs as I go about my day. And sometimes that spending time with her is very focused time. It's sitting on the porch or sitting on the couch talking with one another, and it's very focused and directed, kind of face-to-face. But other times, our time together is much less focused. It's just we're there in the house doing things together, raising kids together, cleaning the house together. And even when we're physically apart, our lives are still intertwined and being lived together because we're going in the same direction and we have the same goals and and purposes in our life together. In over 18 years of marriage, I've learned sometimes very, very slowly the things that Katie likes and that she enjoys and the things that Katie doesn't like. The way that she thinks about the world has, has shaped me and has, has made me act in certain ways as I go about my day because she's my wife and I want to make sure that I'm connected to her in certain ways. And over time, we can even uh, know each other in some really creepy kind of ways. Like we're in a room with, with one another and there's lots of people there and we can just look at each other and somehow know what the other person is thinking. Have you ever had that? Like it's time to go or this person's really irritating, or rescue me here, or whatever it may be, we can just kind of see each other from across the room, and we can just catch one another's eye and know that's only possible because of 18 years of living life together. My mom has a story about um, a time when she um, had a kind of this interesting moment where they, her and my dad realized how well they know each other. My mom was a... Um, part of the big, big Brothers Big Sisters program, and so she had a, had a little sister, and the little sister was there with her at her house, and they were trying to leave to go to the park or something like that, and my, my mom couldn't find her keys, and so she was walking all around the house, like, looking for her keys, and she couldn't find them, and all of a sudden, she said, she said, Bruce, and he said, they're on the washer and dryer, <laughs> and my mom's little sister went, 
He had seen those keys at some point. He could hear that she was walking around the house and just knew that she must have been looking for those keys. That's, you know, after 30 years of marriage, somehow he knew that that's what she needed at that moment. In addition to those unique times where we get to know each other in those unique ways, there's also times where in marriage I mess up or or I forget what Katie needs or I'm careless or times when I'm just a selfish jerk. And in those times, I need to be humble, need to ask forgiveness, or the, that relationship needs to be repaired. In verse 10, Paul says that he wants to know Christ. That is the language of relationship. It's the language of knowing. And like marriage or any other relationship, a checklist, a program, a method isn't going to get the job done so that we can come to know Christ. But sometimes we think that that's how our relationship with God works, or it's kind of the way that we operate in our relationship with God. If there's a few things that I can do today, check off the spiritual checklist, then I can feel good about my relationship with God. God and I must be okay. But friends, you are being invited into a relationship with the creator of the universe. And coming to know the creator of the universe isn't something that we can find a method for. It's not something that we can get done by checking off a few things off of a list. It's a commitment to live with him in relationship, to live our lives attached to him. In John chapter 15, Jesus calls us to abide in him, to remain with him. Our growth in the knowledge of Christ is a lifelong process. And I want to remind you that you are going to live forever. And so that lifelong process of growing to know Christ is going to be a process that goes on forever. There's going to be a time in the age to come when sin will be no more. And in that way, we will be perfect and like him. But God is inexhaustible. And our whole eternity will be spent growing in the knowledge of the depth and wisdom and beauty and goodness and love of God. We will spend eternity coming to know him, spend eternity becoming more like him, continuing to grow and mature in the knowledge of him. And so the call today is to commit yourself to this lifelong, eternal relationship, to abide, to live your life attached to Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. Paul says that those who are mature should take such a view of things. What I want to suggest to you is that Paul's view of things is that maturity, maturity comes from a lifelong commitment of coming to know and to grow to be more like Jesus. Maturity in Christ is not about behaving the right way. Maturity in Christ is not doing all the right things and looking like a Christian. It's not just about avoiding sin or doing all the things that we say or using kind of Christianese kind of language. All of those things are the spiritual version of peeling off the stickers of a Rubik's Cube and then putting them on in the right way so that it looks the right way on the outside. In Paul's view, maturity is this commitment to a lifelong relationship with Jesus where we come to know him and become more like him. And today I'm going to talk about four aspects of this relationship that Paul talks about here in Philippians chapter 3. These aren't four steps. This is not a method. This is simply four parts of what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. The first is this, and you just maybe write it down on the back. The first aspect of being in relationship with Jesus is knowing that you haven't already obtained this. That's what Paul says talks about knowing Christ, wanting to share in his in the sufferings and becoming like him in his death. And then in verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this. And then in verse 13, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Paul admits that he isn't there yet. He hasn't yet arrived. And this is one of the important things that we need to know about in our pursuit of our relationship with Jesus, that we haven't yet arrived This is a journey. It will be a journey our entire life. Paul's goal is to know Christ and become like him, but he knows that he hasn't gotten there yet. And that should be encouraging to us. This is Paul the Apostle towards the very end of his life. The one who planted all of those churches throughout the Roman Empire, the one who's responsible for the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles, the one who suffered shipwreck and beatings and imprisonment, the one who performed great miracles in the name of Christ, here, even towards the very end of his life, says, I have not yet obtained perfection in Jesus. This is an eternal, lifelong journey of coming to know him and become more and more like him. And so if you're frustrated and disappointed and don't really know your own way, just chill out a little bit. It's okay. It's okay. When you came to accept Jesus as your Savior, you committed yourself to this eternal, lifelong journey of coming to know him. You are on the way. You are not fully there yet, and that's okay. And one of the most important parts of this relationship with Jesus is acknowledging and recognizing those areas of our life where we need to mature and grow. To be willing to know and admit our failures. To be aware of all of the ways that we aren't very much like Jesus. To know that. To admit it. 
For those of you who have gone through Celebrate Recovery or other 12-step programs, the first step out of addiction is what? Admit that you've got a problem and that you can't do anything about it. This is part of our relationship with Jesus. It's one of the first steps of growing in a relationship with Jesus today is saying, I have this problem in my life, recognizing it, naming it, and facing it. The first step toward maturity in Christ is saying, I haven't yet obtained all this. And knowing ourselves well enough to be able to see and to name those things and to ask him for his help. The second aspect of our relationship with Christ is to know that Christ has already taken hold of you. To know that Christ has already taken hold of you. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Jesus took hold of you before you ever thought of taking hold of him. And he is committed to you. And he is committed to this relationship that he's invited you into. He is pursuing you even more wholeheartedly than you could ever pursue him. The relationship that you have with him has not been earned by you because of your good efforts. That relationship was won and earned by Christ. And he showed himself to be committed to you all the way to the cross. He became a servant to you. That's how committed he is to this relationship with you. That he became a servant to you. He died for you. And so Paul tells us that he already knows that even before he grasps hold of all of what it means to know Christ, that Christ Jesus has already taken hold of him. And so today, in your relationship with Jesus, remember that he has already taken hold of you. You are already in his hands. Third is a committed pursuit to this relationship. A committed pursuit to this relationship. Listen to Paul's language in verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Earlier in Philippians, Paul talked about working out our salvation with fear and with trembling. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he talks about how like an athlete goes for the prize and, and, and beats their body in order to make it their slave. He does the same thing in his relationship with Christ. In 2 Peter, uh, Peter talks about how we need to make every effort to add to our faith goodness and to our goodness knowledge and to our knowledge self-control and to our self-control brotherly kindness. To make every single effort that we can to do that. The biblical account is very clear that our growth and maturity, our relationship with Christ will only thrive if we commit with our intention and with our will and with our decision to do our part in that relationship. Let me just say that again. The biblical account is clear that our growth and maturity, our relationship with Christ will only thrive if we commit with our intention, with our will, with our decision to do our part in this relationship that he's invited us into. 
There has been a lot of discussion in Christian theology about the relationship between grace and works and how those things work together. And I just want to say that I think that that we get way too clever by half about the whole thing. (laughs) There's just no no contradiction in Paul's mind or in Peter's mind of the grace that God pours out that makes it possible for us to know him and to grow in him. And then at the same time, I'm going to pursue this with all of my heart. They just don't seem to have the the kind of block in their brain about all of that. And I think that for, for some of us, the reason why that's a difficult thing for us to figure out is because our, our vision of what salvation is, is actually just way too narrow. That our vision of what salvation is, is just way too narrow. For some of us, we imagine salvation as that moment of decision sometime in the past. That salvation is the moment when God, by his grace, opened our eyes to who he is so that we could not help say yes to him. And that moment when our eyes were opened, that is all God's grace. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. God opened our eyes by his will and his grace in our lives. For me, that moment happened at a church camp in Southern California when I was 12 years old. I was outside of our cabin one night. Actually, I think it was a teepee. I was outside of our teepee one night, and I was looking up into the sky. It was a beautiful, crystal clear night, and I just in that moment sensed how small I was and how big and good God was. Because I grew up in a Christian home and throughout that week had been hearing the gospel message, it was the moment of decision for me. It was the moment where I accepted this good news that I had heard about Jesus. The language that we use in the church is often, that was the moment that Ryan got saved, the moment of salvation. But I would suggest to you that that moment where I experienced that revelation of God's grace was just the very first page of a very, very long novel called The Salvation of Ryan Cochran. It was the very first page of God's saving work in my life. And it's a story that he continues to write each day as I walk in relationship with him. Or to use the marriage metaphor, there is a moment when a man and a woman say, I do. And it is a good and beautiful moment where those two lives are bound up together. But that moment of marriage is not the same thing as the harrowing adventure of marriage that will last a lifetime. That moment outside of my cabin was that moment where I heard God say to me, I do. And when I said to God, I do. But that was just the wedding day. There was this whole adventure of a life with God that I've been seeking to live over the next 30 years. We've defined maturity in this series as knowing Christ and becoming like Christ. And I think one of the reasons why we have a difficult time with this grace and works thing is because our understanding of the saving work that he wants to do in your life is too narrow. It's a work where he wants to forgive you of your sin and to set you free from your sin. All of those things that you do that destroy relationship with yourself and with others, God is saving you from that as well. Number four, this is the fourth part of aspect of being in relationship with God, is to follow others on the journey. Verse 17, join with others in following my example, brothers, 
and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. There are models and examples of people that you know in your life who you can learn from. I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon that I've had dozens, maybe hundreds of conversations with people over the years about their frustrations or disappointments of connecting with God. And if that's the way that you feel today, you're not alone. I suspect that most people in this room, if not now, at least sometime in their life, have had this sense of, I, I just don't know where to go from here. I feel stuck. I feel lost in my relationship with God. I think one of those reasons is that we've maybe in our minds just kind of given this one particular kind of model. I don't know where this came from. Maybe it's just my church experience growing up, but we kind of have this one model of, of the daily quiet time where it's 15 minutes or 30 minutes of a Bible, a quiet moment, maybe a journal and a time of prayer. And that is a model that works for a lot of people, but it doesn't work for everybody. Scripture and prayer are essential in our relationship with God, but how we take in Scripture and how we commit our lives to prayer can look a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. And so I encourage you to think about people in your life who are models or examples for you and to ask them, what does the receiving of God's word look like for you? What does prayer look like for you in your life? And to learn from them. And I bet for a lot of people, it doesn't look like that kind of ideal quiet time model that I described earlier. It's probably something different. So learn from others. Join with others in following my example and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. So I just want to finish today by reminding us that our walk with Jesus is it's not a puzzle to be solved. It's a relationship to be enjoyed. And it's a relationship that you've been invited into that started at that moment, whenever it was in your life where God revealed himself to you. And by his grace, each and every day, he is calling you to come to know him and become more like him. Would you pray with me as we ask for God's help in this relationship? Lord, I pray that you would help us today. Lord, if we are here today, there is something in us, something in our hearts, some desire that we have to come to know you better. We could have stayed at home. We could have slept in. But Lord, we came here with some hope of coming to know you better today. And so, Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would find our way with you. That we would find our way with your word. That we would find our way in prayer. That you would bring other models and examples, people who are far along, farther along the journey to, to teach us and to instruct us and tell us about how they connect with you. And so that we can learn from them. God, I pray that you would give us the same attitude as Paul, who wanted no other thing but to know you and to share in the fellowship of your sufferings and to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Lord, I pray that that would be our one aim and our one goal. 
We pray these things in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit that you've given us. Amen.